Boy, if there was a topic that was more fitting for something being cleansed and changed by God and from the inside out, it would be this, lay down your anger. Today we're, of course, second week of our sermon series, Lay Down Your Burdens. And today we're on the topic of lay down your anger. Something is near and dear to all of us. No matter how much you think or those around you think that you may struggle with this, there are times where we struggle with anger. And some of you, it's perpetual. Unfortunately, it's perpetual in your life. And so we'll look at today, how do we lay down our anger? But you know, just this week, I had an opportunity to speak with a young man that I have ongoing conversation. He's one of my breakthroughs as well at Chick-fil-A. I'm there every Wednesday morning. I, they know me by name. They put the coffee out there for me before I even come in, all of that stuff, because I'm there. I keep them in business single-handedly, probably. Um, but I'm there every, every uh, Wednesday, and there's a young man in there that's always washing windows. It's part of one of his jobs he has. He's washing windows. And so I've been able to build a little bit of a relationship with, with him. He's, of course, in and out. He's, you know, it's a volume job, so you've got to clean them real quick. So we're always having these little snippet conversations. And a good opportunity to make breakthroughs with him and to share the good news of the gospel. And we're praying that he will uh, surrender his life to Christ at some point. But he had a really interesting story that he shared with me this week about he's washing a window at another fast food establishment, not Chick-fil-A. But he's washing it outside the drive through window. And this guy's ordering and, you know, pretty short with a pretty good deal of anger, leans out his window and says, you'd better be done quick, you know, because he's washing one like right there by the drive through And so he's like, sure, I'll, I'll get it done quick. And so he's, he's washing the window. You know, it's probably two seconds from the time the guy gets his stuff done to when this young man finishes it. So what would we all do in that normal circumstance? No matter how big of a hurry we're in, we would just kind of, you know, just kind of wait and hopefully he gets it done quick. Well, this guy thought giving him a warning was kind of free game. So this young man is not quite done washing the window. And this guy pulls his car and bumps him, bumps him in the leg. And actually, I mean, you know, I mean, you're, you're, even if you're just kind of easing up a 2,000 pound vehicle, I mean, you could do some damage. And luckily he didn't. And the guy and guy, the young man got out of his way. The guy took off in his car. He went in and told the management um, he actually called the police, didn't press charges at the end of it, but he was just flabbergasted by this. And I asked him on Wednesday after we were talking about it, if I could share this story as kind of a highlight. I said here, ironically, this Sunday, we're talking about anger. And it was a good opportunity to talk with him and continue those gospel conversations about how Jesus Christ is the one who forgives and can change lives in this way. And so continue to pray for him along with your own breakthroughs as well. But that just illustrates Anger. This guy was just angry. You're like thinking, what in the world is going on with him? Now, no matter where we find ourselves on the scale of anger or how frequent it is or how normal, uh, how much of a normal part of your life it is, hopefully not, we still all deal with anger. And God has a prescription for it as well. And so we're going to look at today, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And we're going to look at this one specifically. There's many passages that talk about anger, but I really like this one specifically because not only does it talk about anger, but found within it is, some really, is a really practical step for, for one, of the, one of the ways that we can deal with anger and one of the reasons that anger becomes so prevalent in our lives. When we think about that, what are your, some of your hot buttons? For whatever reason, this man that was in the drive-thru, I guess whatever, he's just thinking, somebody is slowing down my day. Somebody is not bending to my will, and so that set him off. Maybe it's someone's not being respectful to me. 
Maybe it's your husband, your wife, someone at school, someone at your place of work. They're not giving me the respect that I deserve, right? I wish someone would support my decisions more. Again, run it through that filter of whatever context you're in, whether it be your place of work, your own house, maybe at school. Someone's not supporting my decisions. They're not valuing my opinions. Maybe it's someone's just not punctual enough. Maybe it's someone, uh, they need to verbally express love for me more. Maybe it's just the fact that someone at work, whatever it may be, is disagreeing with me around others and I feel shamed by it. Whatever it may be, just kind of the laundry list, that litany of things that can be our hot button. But here's the thing. As we talked about before, yes, we will deal with heat in life. It's just part of living in a fallen world, being a human being, living in a fallen world. But it is our choice under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not in our own work, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been made new. The Holy Spirit dwells within, and you have the power, not of your own, but it's the Holy Spirit's power in your life to respond to those hot buttons that heat in your life in a way that honors the Lord, just like Jesus Christ. But here's one thing specifically we're going to take a look at today. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And it says this, So then, my beloved brethren, James, of course, is writing under the inspiration of that same Holy Spirit. He says, Let every man be swift to hear. Now, that's funny and ironic, isn't it? Swift to hear. We'll talk about that in a minute. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Why? For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we take, think about laying down, laying down our anger today. Take a look on the screen here. We must lay down the burden of anger by listening intently and realizing the stakes. Listening intently and realizing what's at stake with responding either as Jesus Christ would with peace or with anger. Lord God, as we come this morning again, this is something that is unfortunately near and dear to the human experience whether it be that we are affected greatly by someone around us that's angry, or whether it be that we are the one that that deals with anger, we know that no matter where we fall on the scale, all of us can deal with anger at times. And Lord, help us to remember you who are patient with us, you who are merciful with us. And help us to remember, of course, your son Jesus Christ as he walked on this earth and as he endured offenses. He endured persecution that he never responded with an unrighteous anger, but he always responded with faith and peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, first thing that we have to see today in verse 19, you see it there in the first statement that we put on the screen, is to listen intently. That's really interesting and really interesting, of course, that, that James writes in such a manner, and we know that he's under the inspiration of God. This is not the words of James But this is God's word, and we know that oftentimes this is one of the very first things, a very practical thing that we can do to deal with anger in our life is to listen intently. And as we're going to kind of see at the end of this point, really listen with empathy. Listen truly to what the other person says. You've heard the old saying of walking a mile in someone else's shoes instead of being quick to just kind of shoot off and just to say, I'm controlling this situation in the way I want to control it, that I'm going to be empathetic to the other person and I'm going to listen to them. So the first thing that we see here is he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, so then let every man be swift to hear. Now, don't miss that very first word in that phrase, every man, every man. Yes, 
no matter where we fall on the scale, all of us can deal with, at times, anger in our life. And sometimes, unfortunately, it is a regular pattern either in your life or maybe you're experiencing a regular pattern of anger by someone else. Here's the thing that we have to remember. Yes, it is a difficult Uh, It's a difficulty and a problem and a burden for all of mankind. But guess what? The quote unquote, that's just the way I am is not okay. That's not, that is not a valid excuse. That's just the way I am is not okay. Why why are we angry with others? Obviously, we know it's a sin in our life. And really, um, we're going to give a kind of a quote at the end from a guy named Ed Welch, which is a wonderful biblical counselor, has a long uh, history in biblical counseling. And one article that pulls some of the material from today uh, talks about the insanity of anger, meaning not insane in the way that we use the term in our modern culture where um, you know, we truly have, you're just out of our mind or, or in a way that, that we have no responsibility. He doesn't want us to lead us to that point. We think, I don't have any responsibility for what I'm doing, but he means it at its very core is truly irrational. You're thinking you are going to be able to bend other people's will and bend the world to your own intent and your own desires by being angry with them. Now, with that said, though, anger does have perks, doesn't it? Anger has perks because we can get people to respond in a certain way. Now, we don't walk through this mental exercise in our head, but we know it happens. Whether we say, I, whether we're cold and calculated about it, which we're not, we know that people will bend to our will. But do we have to look at ourselves very honestly? And we do. We have to ask ourselves some certain questions. Do we leave a wake of destruction around us? Do we leave a wake of destruction around us? Are others unnecessarily cautious around you? And on and on and on. Because the unfortunate thing is, it's been often said that there are no mirrors in the angry man's house, right? There's nothing that he looks intently upon his own heart and says that, okay, this is really wrong in my life. Unfortunately, if we deal with anger, and anger is a regular part of our life, we can really lack a tremendous, we have a tremendous lack of self-awareness. We have a tremendous lack of self-awareness. Even if people are distancing themselves, and you're kind of leaving a wake of destruction, oftentimes you don't realize you're doing it. And even though we may not say this again directly in our head, we can act as though, okay, finally all of these morons around me have come around to my irresistible logic and have kind of figured out things my way. And maybe you don't even have enough self-awareness to realize that you've built up this reputation. Maybe you're at your place of work, you're wondering why, okay, you've never been able to advance. Hmm? Maybe you're wondering why, okay, why do people always kind of seem cautious around me? And on and on and on. You know, one thing I've said before many times is that reputations aren't random, right? There's not some sort of grand, big top hat out in the world, one top hat and another where your name is drawn out of one top hat and then a reputation of, in this case, anger is drawn out of another one. And it's put together and you get a reputation unwarranted. Reputations aren't random. You earn these reputations. So what can we do? What can we do to overcome this? First of all, we know, and we're going to come back around to this again, there is no burden. There is no burden that we take off. There is no burden that we lay down without laying the entirety of our life at the feet of Jesus Christ. This is not in any way self-help for someone that does not have faith in Jesus Christ. Whether it be anger, and this one we really realize because of the volatile nature of it, but in any of the burdens that we carry around in life, there is no doing it on our own. 
There is no kind of uh, having enough gumption. There's not having enough willpower in which we can overcome burdens without uh, coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, I am laying my whole life at your feet. I am, as Jesus, you told me to repent, turn from my old way of life. That's what repent means, to turn away from your old way of life and believe in Jesus Christ. Only then does the incredible change happen in one's life of which Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, in which he says that we are born again. We are born anew, born from above. That is the only way that we can overcome this burden or any other. So if you're there today and you do not know Christ as your Savior and your Lord, this burden or whatever burden you can carry, you carry around as well can be dealt with and eliminated first and foremost by laying your life at the feet of Jesus Christ, coming to faith in Jesus. But if you're here today and you do know Christ as your Savior, you are redeemed, you're a child of God, but yet this is one of those sinful blind spots in your life where, the, where God is still trying to do a work of sanctification in your life. What are we called to do? What is our part? We know it's ultimately done. It's ultimately a matter of work of sanctification. Uh, God making you like Jesus Christ. That's what that big word means. But what do we do? Well, here's some things that we do to yield to his work in his life. He says, very firstly, be swift to hear. Swift to hear. Now, here's what's ironic about that, right? We think of swiftness as action, but really swift to hear almost sounds like it's passive, right? Being, you know, it's, it's not as though we're doing something. It's almost the removal of doing something. In a way, that's exactly right. When we deal with heat in life, because we will, again, we live in a fallen world where people are, are wronging us or doing things wrong by us. Other people are sinning against us just like we sin against others. We live in a fallen world. The very first thing that we're to do is something that can seem like an inaction, Instead of responding in anger, instead of sort of proverbially bumping somebody else in our life with the car of our life, if you will, if you follow the illustration from earlier, it is not a matter, though, of true inaction. It is action in the fact that we are to slow down and we are to be empathetic and listen to them. Listen to them. Be cautious with our response. Stop before we dump on them in anger and listen. Listen, it's a skill to listen with empathy. So don't be swift to to speak and swift to to lash out, swift to dump on them in anger, but we are to be swift to listen. That should be our immediate response, right? Now, it's difficult because anger will flare up quick. It'll flare up quick, but it is a learned skill just like anything else. As we know, as we are coming to God's word daily, we're spending time with Jesus Christ and his word, we know that we begin to develop that character of Christ. And we can put some very practical things in place as well to make sure that we are swift to listen, not swift to lash out. Maybe sometimes you just need to walk out of the room. As you are praying without ceasing as we're commanded to do, that means that we're not praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week without stop. It means we're in a prayerful state throughout the constancy of our life. And so maybe we just kind of need to walk out of a situation and just pray and say, God, help me to respond as Christ would. Help me to respond as Christ would. So be swift to listen. But then we're called to be slow to speak and slow to wrath, almost the opposite side of this. And guess what? It's no coincidence that the the tongue or speaking is linked very closely with wrath. A little bit later in this same book, the book of James, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 3, says this, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they obey us. And we can turn the whole body. So this little bit can turn the whole horse, right? 
Or he says, look at ships. Although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member. It's a small part of the body, but yet it boasts great things, right? Has your tongue ever got you in trouble before? Yeah, right? I think we can all nod along with that. Our Our tongue has really gotten us in trouble before. And it says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. You can start with a little fire and can turn into some of those horrific forest fires that we see out in California. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. In fact, its reflection is a reflection of Satan and the demons. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. How sharp we can be, how one little word, one little tone of voice can cut to the heart of someone else that we're really upset with and trying to injure. With it, he says, with it, we can bless our God and Father, and with it, we can curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. It means every one of us have been made in the image of God. It's not as though I am of special nature. I've been made in the image of God, but you're just a regular person. God says all of us have been made in the image of God, and for that very reason, every human being that walks the face of the earth is incredibly special because they've been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a fresh spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. He says, it's really interesting, and we see this kind of common theme throughout Scripture, that it is no, uh, it is no coincidence that these things are linked. He says, so restrain your tongue. Restrain your tongue. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, here's the thing about the tongue, though. It is not as though it is a sort of disembodied part of our being, Right? The tongue is an overflow valve of the heart. Matthew 15, 18 says this, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. It means that it's an area of our life. For those of us in this room, again, that are Christians that have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, God is working a work in our life to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. But is this an area of your life that you're not yielding to him? And is your heart bitter? Are you consumed by some of these hot buttons that we talked about today, that people don't respect me as they should? People don't support my decisions. They don't value my opinions. They don't agree with me as as they should, and on and on and on, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And then, boom, your tongue overflows with what is boiling in your heart. Slow to speak and be slow to wrath. Slow to wrath, speaking about, again, that heart there. Well, you say, gosh, that's a strong word. I don't have wrath, right? I don't have wrath in the, in the sort of way that it's used here, that sort of capricious, selfish, again, I'm doing my own thing. I don't care who gets run over in my life. But what about these many faces of anger? Let's take a look at some of these, see if some of these are kind of checking a box. Rage, right? Some of just flat out rage. You just fly off the handle, fly off the handle. But what about this? What about bitterness? What about bitterness? That's another face of anger, right? 
It's not so much that you're just blowing up, but you're just kind of stuffing it below the surface. And it's boiling. It's slowly simmering. It's just stuffing it, and you're brooding and brooding. What about this? What about gossip and slander? You know, you don't feel as though you can sort of knife them there in front of them. And, of course, you know, we're not using these sorts of thoughts in our heads. But, you know, what comes through is, is not the offensive, but sort of the defensive, passive-aggressive. I'm gossiping and slandering about them. Slandering them in front of others. What about this? A, des- a desire, a desire for revenge, a desire for revenge. And again, you're saying to yourself, "I don't have a desire for revenge." You're not walking through because we get this idea of like a movie, right? Where some the some person is plotting out their revenge and they're writing it out and all this. That's not it at all. The human mind is an incredibly powerful supercomputer, and we can be processing these things and saying, "Gosh, I just." How can I get back at them without ever having the honest conversation with ourselves? What about jealousy? Jealousy, being jealous of someone else. What about this? Grumbling and complaining, kind of akin to the gossip and slander, grumbling and complaining. Or what about cynicism? Now, this one's more high-minded, right? Because it's just but what it is. I'm having confident judgments about what it is that I think I'm right about, and I'm cynical about anything else that doesn't conform to my image of the way it should be. These many faces of anger. But he says this, be slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. Proverbs 16.32. I love this verse. Proverbs 16.32. Write down the reference. Go look it up later. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better, is better than the one who takes a city. You see, you have to listen intently, be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and listen with that sort of empathy that speaks to, I'm going to understand the other person, even if they've wronged me. And you say, well, gosh, I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to do that. I have the right to to speak out however I want to speak out. Do we have the right to look past our own example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? who by no fault of his own, no fault of his own, he was led to the cross. He was tortured. He was crucified upon the cross. Of nothing that he did, he lived a sinless life, yet he never responded in anger. Listen intently. And number two, very simply, realize what's at stake. Realize the stakes. Realize the stakes. Verse 20 says this, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, it seems rather obvious. Let's dig into it a little bit. Listen to this. We're going to put it on the screen. Write it down. Anger wastes the energy and passion of God's people, right? Especially when you think about it in this context of a local body of Christ, but really you can extend it to your family, You can extend it to your place of work if there's other believers at work. Anger wastes the energy and passion of God's people. And what does it also do? It creates division between those very people who need each other for personal growth. Remember, as a Christian, as growing in in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you were never meant to do that on an island. God never said as, as though you're some sort of a person out there living on an island solo by yourself, and it's all up to you to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and become more Christ-like. 
No, in fact, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember, we talked about that sanctification. That means that God is making you more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. He's doing that through the Holy Spirit who lives within if you've given your life to Jesus. But guess what? He also has given not only responsibility to us to yield ourselves to his work in our life, but he's given us other believers that we, that we might hold each other accountable and we might help each other to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. What is one of the quickest ways that we can short-circuit that process of growth and helping one another grow? It's anger. Being angry with one another, it wastes the energy and passion of God's people and it creates division between those very people who need each other for personal growth. James 3, 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see just a little bit later in this very book, this sort of consistent thread throughout. We are sowing peace. We're sowing righteousness one to another when we respond to each other in peace and not anger. Now, here's the thing. What if someone does offend you? What if someone does do something that legitimately hurts you? Well, sometimes we got to ask ourselves, is it, is it legitimate, right? Is it legitimate? Is it something that I really need to get that upset about? Is it, is, it, is it really something that's a big deal? But if it is, what do we need to do? We need to go to that person, and in peace, we need to speak with them about that. We need to speak with them about that instead of just kind of stuffing it down and letting a root of bitterness grow. If we have done something to someone else that hurts them, just as what a wonderful testimony. We had Josh share this testimony, planned it for a couple of weeks for the breakthrough portion of it, but how applicable it is to today on this anger side of it, right? He kind of, as we often do when there was some heat of the day, he lashed out, but what did he do? He realized that the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, that's not right. You need to go and you need to to apologize, and he apologized, and what a wonderful opportunity that was of, in humility, giving him an opportunity to speak with this other guy, with his coworker, about the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it also do? Not only does it waste the energy and passion of God's people, creates division between those who need each other for personal growth, but it, if you follow me here, it short circuits the potential righteousness of an unbeliever. Now, let me unpack that. What do I mean by that? Potential righteousness means that those who have not come yet to faith in Jesus Christ, we know can be made righteous through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God says when he looks at you, he sees you no longer as sinful. He sees you as righteous, perfect, pure, blameless, sinless, and undefiled because of something you've done? No, because what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. So when we are angry, when we are angry with others, especially that are unbelievers, or we are angry in context of other believers, but an unbeliever can see us, it short circuits their potential for coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they say, again, whether they process it mentally, they say there's nothing different about them. Nothing different about them. Why should I commit my life to something that's going to change my life if I don't really seem to change from it? Because if they're honest with themselves, they know there's something that needs to change in their life. They know there's some emptiness. They're searching for something. Our world has never been more spiritual. 
never been more spiritual in just the general sense of spirituality, but if they look at us and they don't see change, or if we sin, we respond in a completely unworldly way. We actually respond asking for forgiveness. If they don't see that in our lives, they wonder what's really different. What's really different? So as we've been talking about throughout the course of this message, but I want to focus in specifically now, just answering the very simple question, how do I change it? How do I change it? First of all, let's talk about if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior. It starts with your relationship with God. I'm going to come back to this as well. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're not a Christian. It starts, first of all, with your relationship with God. Because if you're not looking at the world and you're focused on God and what he has done for you and, and, and how much he's loved and cared for you and responded to you, not with anger, but with peace and love and forgiveness, we can have this sense of, I'm in charge of the world and others need to bend to me. I'm in charge of the world and others need to bend towards me. But instead, we have to remember that God is patient. God is patient. Matthew 18, when, when those are asking Jesus Christ about how often should we forgive, seven times, kind of a good perfect, the the round number of scripture, that sort of a cohesive round and perfect number of scripture, Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Now, it doesn't mean that we're actually counting it out and we're saying, okay, we do the math 70 times seven. And once I've gotten to that point, then I'm okay. And then all bets are off. I'm not going to let them have it, right? That's not it at all. It was a turn of phrase in which Jesus was saying, just continue to forgive What an example we see of this, of God in the Old Testament with the Israelites. They'd run after foreign gods, and they'd run after all these these foreign gods that had no power, and they'd believe in them, and they would would run after them and the the things and the ways of those people, but God would forgive them. God would forgive them. He is patient, and he is merciful as well. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. What is he He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. If God is slow in anger to us, and and when we look at the sin in our life and what it cost our father, it cost our father his son upon the cross. When we look at that, how do we have any right to act any different to those who have offended us than God himself acts unto us? He is patient and he is merciful. So it starts with our relationship to God. Remembering that God is patient and merciful, we also have to listen to our anger, if you will. James 4, 1 through 2, consistent theme throughout James here. Where do those wars and fights come from among you, he says? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. First of all, we have to trust God in God. Not fly off the handle when things aren't going exactly the way that we think that they should be going because we should always be walking in faithful trust. When we listen to our anger as well, we have to listen to it. And what does it say about what we expect, what we want, and what we believe that we need, right? Listen to it. What does it say? What are we saying about what we expect from life? Do we expect others to just bend to our will? What we want, we want things just our way, just like this. And if it doesn't work out just like this, then I'm going to go, I'm going to fly off the handle. Or what we believe that we need and others aren't giving it to us. And we might say that I want, I want power, control, and I want to be right. Now, again, you're saying, I don't say that. I don't say that, Pastor. I don't walk around saying that to myself. Well, of course we don't, right? 
Because we've learned how to just be a little more cordial, even in our own conversations in our mind, right? We, as we've matured and as we've grown, we're no longer children. And children just say, I want this, I want this, I want this. Well, we have become more refined, right? We've figured out that we don't need to speak like that, not even in our own minds. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's what it is. I want this power. I want power over my situation, my circle of influence, whatever it may be, control, and I want to be right. And if I'm not, and others aren't bending to me, then I'm going to, I'm going to get upset. I'm going to get mad about it. Sometimes it may be, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Stop looking at me. I know I've done something. Stop looking at me. And so in, the response is a, you know, a, a, an offense. The best kind of defense is a good offense. So I'm just going to be offensive and keep people at bay. Listen to your anger. What does it say? What does it say? As difficult and as hard as it may be, ask forgiveness of those around you and with an openness of mind and heart say, what, what does this say? What does this say about me? What am I doing? What am I doing? Help me with this. And then what do we do also? Confess and we pray. We confess and we pray. We confess unto the Lord and we confess and we ask forgiveness of those we've been angry to. And then what do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray that God would change our hearts. We spend time in his word because just like we spend time with anybody, if we spend time with an angry man, we're going to become angry. We spend time with a man of peace, Jesus Christ, we're going to become peaceful. And we pray, and we pray that God would change our heart. I want to put a quote up on the screen for you here. I love this about, again, in terms of prayer when it comes to anger. This man, Ed Welch, that I mentioned before, again, the, the context of his whole article was the insanity of anger. Not as though we don't have any responsibility for it, but like how crazy it is when we think about, okay, I can bend circumstances to my will by being angry and not expect any sort of consequences from it. He says, sometimes when you're faced with that, when you're faced with that, sometimes all that can be done is pray. Pray for yourself, pray for others, pray and hold each other accountable. When faced with the noetic, that means intellectual effects of anger, the cleverness of human counselors comes to an end. Reason has met its match. At that point, do the most sane thing a human being could possibly do. Pray, pray, pray. Be humble and say, God, I am, I am an angry person. I might hide it at times. I might keep it below the surface, but I've really hurt people around me. Lord, give me the courage to go and to confess that before them, to ask for forgiveness, and Lord, would you make me daily more and more like Jesus Christ? Would you make me more and more like Jesus Christ? So here's the thing again. We are to lay down that anger. As we are told here in James chapter 1, lay down that anger by listening intently and realizing what's at stake. Realizing what's at stake, those relationships around you, and especially at times the relationships of those who desperately need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now. And we pray that you would help us, whatever the burden may be, and as we look at today, the burden of anger, would you help us to lay that down, not in our own power? We know any sort of self-help or trying or willpower or any of that will fall way short, way short. But Lord, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we know we have your Holy Spirit within us that can do the work. And if we yield ourselves to your word and to prayer daily, hold ourselves accountable to others around us, ask forgiveness, Lord, and just to reflect on the, the, the very 
life of Jesus Christ, Lord, and how you responded uh, to those times in which others uh, responded to him and the, the times that he was offended, those times that he was, uh, he was hurt and those times that he was persecuted, Lord. He responded with peace, Lord. We know we can look upon his example and we can do the same. In his name we do pray.